Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Greetings all. Welcome to the latest bikes racing podcast from Eurosport. It's full throttle. Greg Haynes with you. And in the next few seconds, we have an interview coming up with Andrew Irwin, who for Honda a couple of weekends ago became the 52nd winner in the modern era of the Bennett's British Superbike Championship. Some staggering facts. Six winners already this year. Five of them first time winners. Of course, we've had Josh Elliott. We've had Tara McKenzie, we've had the current championship leader, Scott Redding, Danny Buchan, and now Andrew Irwin on the Honda, winning all for the first time this year. 400 it was their first victory since Dan Linfoot took the chequered flag at Alton Park in September 2017. So they were getting on for nearly 24 months, a couple of years since their last win. And the first Honda win at Thruxton Circuit in Hampshire since Ian Lowry took his one and only BSB win back in 2012. So the seven-year Honda itch of wins at Thruxton is over. But Andrew Irwin, he's a great guy. He's still only 24 years of age. And the Irwins have gone down in history for modern BSB as the first two brothers to take wins. What an incredible achievement that is for two of the four Irwin brothers but Andrew and I chatted last Wednesday we got through an hour of conversation and talked about just about everything I think as we now listen in with this interview with the latest BSB race winner Andrew Irwin with me Greg Haynes on this week's Full Throttle podcast so our latest BSB winner is on the line on Skype. Andrew, first of all, congratulations. But I'm a bit surprised because just as we were getting ready and doing some sound checks, you were telling me that although you can win a BSB race, you're rubbish with computers. So how does that work? Yeah, if, uh, if anyone saw the laptop that I actually own, it's even the weight of it. I brought it over at the weekend with me because we have to do a debrief and I wasn't a debrief sheet and I wasn't coming home until uh, until Wednesday and uh, I had it with me and then uh, I was telling my girlfriend that I had something to do and she's like you cannot do a Skype call on your laptop you would never understand what I say you know it's that old so uh, she lent me her MacBook but uh, with this here it's uh, a little bit more complicated for me it's even trying to get like the hash key is in a different place and oh my head's all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> what is it what is your laptop mine is uh, it's a microsoft something but my old work gave it to me which i'm obviously very grateful for but it's definitely not the most modern one it's uh, it, i would say it weighs about four kilograms and i'm not even exaggerating well you can win on what's not always the newest equipment which again we were just talking about before we went on air but what a great win you've just had at thruxton 52nd bsb winner and We've established that you and Glenn are the first brothers in the modern era of BSB, which goes back to 96, to win races. We've had a son of another rider earlier this year, Tara McKenzie, son of Neil McKenzie, of course, but we'd never had brothers winning before. So you've done it. You've made history. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy feeling. You, Whenever you grow up, you always dream of, you know, going up the ladder to win, say, BSB races. You want to go on someday to hopefully win more superbike races. You know, that's whenever you're you're young, that's what your aspirations are. You want to get to MotoGP, you want to, you know, you want to do all that. But sometimes what your aspirations are and then your, like, realistic targets, you're like, oh, wonder if I'll actually ever do that or do will I ever even win an Irish Championship race or whatever, do you know? And it's a, it's a crazy feeling. Whenever I crossed the finish line, it was, like, relief, emotion, everything, you know, all in one. I, it's... 
it's hard to put it into words, but you know, you, you're as soon as I crossed the finish line, my eyes just were water, and I was like, I've done. You know, it's been a, I, I've said it before, it's been a really tough route, I would say, but super fun along the way to to win a race and to get a, get that monkey off my back. I suppose is a, it's a massive deal, and you know, you put so much pressure on yourself, you put so much work into it. You know, it's not just that we ride a bike every day, you're doing something to make yourself better. You do homework away from the track. And Joe, you know, I came across the line, I was like, Oh, finally. Because I've never actually won a, a race in British Championship across the finish line. I won a one British Super Sport race, but a silly one on the Moto 2 bike. So it was never the same feeling because you didn't get the checkered flag. And uh, But this one, you know, it was like, I earned it. It was me. It was you know, it was just me that did it. Not just me, because obviously the team. But you know, I didn't have another rider ahead of me. Or when I won in the Super Sport race, my teammate at the time, Ben Curry, was kind of helping me to win the championship and was keeping everyone behind. But uh, this was a uh, this one was my win, and uh, no one's going to take it away from me. No, oh, absolutely not. And you talked about the team there, Andrew the Honda racing team, which effectively, of course, is the only pure factory team in BSB at the moment because all of the others are essentially private teams running in collaboration with a factory. But Honda is pure factory based in Louth, of course, which is where we're heading this week with Cadwell Park, just down the road from Cadwell Park. But how does it feel for you to be the guy who's done it for the team and for Javier Beltran and everyone who works so hard? And it had been almost two years, hadn't it, since the last Honda win with Dan Linfoot at Alton Park in 2017. So there must be a tremendous amount of relief, I would imagine, inside the team as well as delight. Yeah, when, when I came into Parferme, I've seen Harv, you know, and uh, anyone that knows him, he doesn't show much emotion, I don't think. You know, like, you don't see him get too excited. He keeps you calm. He keeps everyone in the team calm and makes sure that everyone's doing their job the right way. Like, the way that Honda works, I love. It is uh, such a nice team to be involved in. There's no... There's no negativity in it. You know, it's all positive and everybody works together. Like I always say, Xavi Forez has been a, a massive help as well because of how much experience he has, how much he's been around the world. He's read different manufacturers before that before he had a stint in World Superbikes with Ducati. And he, uh, he understands what he wants from a bike and how to make a bike fast. And that I've really tried to absorb as much as I can out of him and I continue to learn, you know, like we have a debrief on a Friday night, Saturday night at the track and uh, you're listening to him and you're thinking, well, this guy's Spanish and he knows better words to describe the bike in English than I do. And Yeah, that's depressing when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know, like for me, it might take me like 300 words to get to like one big word, which I really can't, <laughs> I can't think in my head. Whereas with Xavi, he understands what the bike's doing in 10 words. And uh, yeah, so together, like with his crew chief, Ian Press, with my crew chief, Dar- crew chief Darren Maisie, we've all worked together to make the Fireblade uh, even better. And uh, I think it showed this year. Do you know, Chavi's been on the podium, you know, against the the new bikes that have come out this year. I've won at Thruxton and showed that, that the Fireblade's competitive and. Uh, there's no reason why the bike can't consistently be up there. How do you feel you've changed? Because we've had some great names, people like Shaky Byrne in our Shaky Show podcast here on Full Throttle on Eurosport last week. And then he said the same in Motorcycle News, coming out saying, you know, Andrew's really matured. It's like he means business now. He feels like he deserves to be there. I mean, you've only got to go back 14 months or so. And it felt like the whole paddock wanted you for lunch because you caused that multiple crash at Snetterton. Now you're a race winner, and it's like they're all looking at you in a different way. Yeah, do you know, when I first uh, went to Snetterton, people were talking about me for the right reasons because I think I finished the, the Friday in seventh or something. And I did one day on the Superbike at Knockhill before that, and uh, everything was going good. I nearly made Q3 on the Saturday. And then uh, on the first race on the Sunday, it was as if all the work I'd done, I might as well just threw into the wind. But uh, then, you know, we fast forward 12 months and it shows how much I've matured. You know, I, I've changed a lot in, uh, in, in, say, like away from racing. I've changed so many things. Like now I have a different trainer. But OK, that is to do with racing. I have a different trainer. I live in my own house with my girlfriend. You know, I've moved out from my parents. You know, things like that. And when you move into your own house, you realize that you've got responsibilities. 
you have things like that to do and it makes you I think it made me more focused I can't say it makes you because I don't know if it changes for other people but for me it just makes you focus more on your job and the to be honest this is the first year that I've had my job's been motorbike racing before I did a normal job away from bikes as well as racing whereas now uh, I get a salary and I don't have to work anymore and uh, I think with all those things just added up it's just made me a better rider I think a lot more now I don't panic or do you like before the before the race on Sunday on the outlap uh, my knee slider fell off caught my knee on the ground without the the knee slider being on and I completely buffed the leather so I couldn't put the the knee slider back on the leather so I had to go back to the truck put on a fresh set of leathers that I had and in the past I would have got on the bike being so hot-headed John I I, I would have knew straight away I was going to crash in the first lap and then this time I was just calm it didn't it didn't phase me I think it just shows that I've matured and that you know things can happen and I don't let it bother me when I'm on the bike and try to just focus and on what the job is. Some, I don't know, sometimes things just change and uh, at the minute it's working anyway. So looking back then over the last year or so, was there a moment you can pinpoint when it did change? Did somebody say something to you or did something happen or, you know, did something in particular trigger it or was it just what you've just explained, you know, moving house and taking on these greater responsibilities? Yeah, like, I would say the first time that I really realized that I could do a good job was probably Brands at the end of the year, whenever Glenn and I were first and second uh, at the last round. Uh, it's, Brands has always been a track I've been quite competitive at, but then with like, I remember seeing the pit board, I think I had six laps to go. I just freaked out. Like, that's the only way I put it. Like, I just was like, oh, hit, hit the panic button. It was as, as if somebody triggers something in your head and, everything went tight and I ended up fourth you know and it wasn't the tire going off or it was just because I let it affect me so much that then I like fatigued and overthought the whole the whole situation whereas so that's like in the sense that there were six laps to go and you thought there were fewer laps to go and you think oh I've still got to do another six laps is that what you mean yeah it's as if if I didn't trust my fitness enough and I didn't trust myself enough you know like I just kind of overthought the whole exercise type thing and then uh, with now that I know that I put in 100% effort in the bikes, Joe, I eat 90% good of the time. The other 10% I'm eating Ben and Jerry's ice cream. But <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I have that happy medium. Do you know, I enjoy life. I enjoy, you know, I'm young. I have to enjoy, you know, like things away from racing. I don't drink, but I'm not scared to go out and have a bit of a laugh with my mates or just have fun. But uh, at the same time, I take racing 100% serious. I just, I've committed everything to it. I do everything that I believe that is as right as possible. And I don't necessarily follow a book that everyone else would say to do. I find what works for me and uh, what makes me happy. And do you know, like, you learn along the way what what you like to do and what you don't like to do, and sometimes you have to do what you don't like to do. But it's uh, about finding that happy medium, and at the minute, I have that. Is there anyone in particular you do or have looked up to over the years, or whose opinion you trust more than somebody else's, perhaps? Yeah, uh, my cousin's actually married to Cal Crutchlow, so I have a, a massive respect for him and uh, and what he he. He gives me some words of advice and he, he helps me out a little bit with a few other things. And uh, so with Cal, I always look at what he does because I believe that he works super hard to get to where he is. You know, he didn't come through Moto3, Moto2 to to get the MotoGP to be a race winner. He came from British Superbikes, went to World Supersport, World Superbikes, which I think everybody knows is a harder path. And you know, he's, he's made it happen. You don't stay in MotoGP for... Has he been there maybe seven or eight years now? Yeah, yeah. Have a, a big talent and a, a big work or big work ethic, and uh, Cal's definitely somebody that I look look up to a lot, you know. And then obviously being from Northern Ireland, you've got Jonathan Ray that we all look up to as well, and you know, both of them have both been at Honda, where uh, they their careers really kicked off with, from there, and uh, I think that's one thing that I like being a rider for Honda is because of also the history that they've had, you know, with the riders that have they've read and been in been in the team in life and Joe you know, Harv always 
obviously does a good job in mentoring them to to help take them to the next level. And I think with me, that's a it's also a big credit to him that he's helped me to to take that next step up to be a consistent top six finisher. When was it that you started talking with Honda out of interest? Was it immediately at the end of last season or did you already know there was a chance before the season ended? Because, of course, you were with the PBM team alongside Glenn, weren't you? Uh, subbing for Shaky Byrne when he was out hurt last year. When did the sort of um, when did the Honda adventure begin? It, it was Thursday that there was no ride at PBM, so then I had to look for a job. And so that's the Thursday of Brands Hatch, was it? The end of last year. Silverstone, which is right. that, so I, I had a bit of time, and then uh, I rang Harv, and he had said, "Oh, he needs to find out some budgets and and stuff like that." And then uh, it just kind of got the ball the ball rolling really from there. And it happened quite fast, to be honest. I flew over to Louth to their workshops and, and had a conversation with them. And I'm quite easy going. I, I don't think uh, I'm too hard to negotiate with. So we got a, we got a deal done up pretty quick. And uh, and then that let me focus and uh, get get my head then into being ready for 2019. But with Harv, you know, he... It's not just his experience of running a team. He also knows like the mental side of racing and the other side of things. And uh, he's always full of good advice. He's very knowledgeable. And uh, with that, it's uh, it's like having that extra person in the garage that knows what they're talking about. And I don't know Harb super super well. Obviously, I have a working relationship with him for Eurosport and Motorcycle News and you know the podcast and things like that. But he seems he strikes me as a, a real people person as well. He seems to really know how to get the best out of everybody in the team and and motivate people. I suppose is that what he's like? Yeah, I think that's like the perfect way to describe him. He's like that person that. Maybe if you spoke to him, you wouldn't think he is what he's like. But you know, I've spent quite a lot of time with him. We did a Goodwood together, and we we were able to have a laugh. So I have like a, a real. I think I have a good working relationship with him, and it's his way that he comes across. You know, he's calm, and if you have a calm garage like uh, I have, you know, the two mechanics I have, Macaulay and Scott, are super calm. Spider, uh, Darren Maisie, you know, like he's cool as a cucumber, and. Uh, then that all wears off onto you that then you're calm you like you don't panic or you don't get too overly excited and it keeps the whole garage you know all that uh, at like a neutral level you know we're not peaking up and down like don't get me wrong after after sunday i think we're all happy but whenever we get back on the bike we'll be back to work and you know you're not living off that that one race weekend we'll go back to where we where we were and uh just continue working. Well, I'll come back to you in a second, Andrew, because there's lots more to ask you, but we've also taken some questions in ready for the podcast from people on my Facebook page and through Twitter, Greg Haynes TV and the hashtag Full Throttle. Ian Greenwood says, I don't know what you and Honda have found, but for God's sake, don't lose it. That was some fantastic racing. Keep it up. I'm sure you agree. Matty Hughes says, what's been the best click that they've made to the Honda to get it up at the front? Good question. Yeah, uh, to be honest, the best click is probably Chavi Perez and his experience. <laughs> uh, in racing, it's a team effort as much as uh, an individual rider. Uh, and Chavi's experience has definitely helped. As you know, I don't, I don't hide it. The... Uh, so I know how to set up a bike as good as Xavi knew. And at times, to, does he go down a path and we go, we kind of then follow suit, something like that we do. We, we normally never have the exact same bike, but at times it's similar. But uh, do you know at Thruxton, because he hadn't been to the track, it kind of puts a, a little bit more then on me that I need to lead on the first day to, to get the bike going. And we actually ended up going more my way than Chavi's way this time. Not that Chavi went the wrong way, just because he had to learn the track. And then he seen that we where we were and we had good pace and he came to our way. But Joe Chavi is a, a lot of experience. He's worked with a lot of people and uh, Joe, there's a there's been a few things that we both obviously came from a, a similar bike last year. Um, we've kind of brought some of the strong points and things that we knew from uh, from that bike. Uh, to the Honda and uh, it's been able to take uh, take it to that next step as well of just small small things like it's not necessarily different parts it's just doing different things with what we have is uh, has took it to took it up a notch yeah that's true of course you both came from Ducatis didn't you you were with PBM last year and he was with Barney in um, World Superbikes but uh, yeah, I get a lot of stick because I primarily commentate Andrew on World Superbikes as you know yeah. 
if I ever praise Xavi Forrest, everyone says, oh, it's because you're a world superbike guy. <laughs> but he really is a top guy, isn't he? He's yeah. a world-class rider and, you know, he's very loyal. He's been with his wife, Carla, since they were about 14 years old. He's a top bloke, isn't he, Xavi Forrest? And a world-class rider. Yeah, do you know, he's absolutely 100%. Do you know, like, uh, I spent quite a lot of time with him as well. Do you know, like, uh, say after, uh, I didn't come home until Wednesday, so we uh, were together the Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. And we have fun, you know, he's just down the earth. He's got no ego. And also Carla was there. She's a, a lovely woman and they both speak uh, better English than I do. So uh, <laughs> it's good. And the thing with Xavi is, is that he just wants the best bike and he's prepared to work super hard to get that. With me, I just want the best lap time. But uh, with, so together we're able to... To get the best compromise you know we've got youth and we've got experience and i think that that's what works in the team and then we also have tom neve on the stock bike and uh he's getting faster and faster and more and more competitive and showing that the honda can be competitive in that class too so now the whole team that we have in honda it just builds well it's hard to put it into words but john you have like a group of people that just click yeah that is how honda is and I think, to be honest, it's uh, a lot of us on the Harv and Joe how he's managed the team. And uh, I think it changed maybe three or four years ago that he had quite a big change. And there's, I don't know if a clear out is the right way of putting it, but a lot of staff changed. And uh, with the ones that he has now, uh, it definitely works. It's interesting, isn't it? Because looking in often from the outside, you see teams in the paddocks, such as, let's say, the FS3 Kawasaki team, quite a small, relatively small effort or Moto Rapido, again, a relatively small but still very professional effort, but very much a family feeling. Whereas Honda's often seen as a corporate giant, not quite so emotional, but clearly they are a big family, aren't they? Yeah, do you know, like, sometimes whenever you look from the outside, like last year I, I didn't ride for Honda, and you look from the outside and you're like, do you know, they seem to take things, like, maybe too serious or, you know, things like that. And that's kind of, I thought, going into the team that, how, how am I going to get on? Because I'm quite an, I'm quite a private, quieter person. And uh, I was like, oh, how am I going to get on with this? But see, when you go into the team, it's complete opposite. You know, they all know how to have fun, how to have a laugh. But at the same time, they take their job 100% serious. And you know, whenever you ride for somebody like Honda, it's not... It's not as if it's a team running for Honda. It's Honda running it, you know. Honda UK are the people that's running it, and that the teams in Louth, the workshops in Louth, and uh, it's just so professional and such. A, it's a pleasure to ride for them. Everything's organised, you know. There's not one thing that's not thought of, you know. You don't get to the track and they think, oh, what are this? You know, it's all thought of beforehand, and mm. you know, not there's no stone unturned. Is probably the, the easiest way of putting it, you know. And, there, there's lots of other teams, you know, smaller teams, but with uh, Honda, it's, uh, it's run in, in a really nice way. And I think Harv, Javier Beltran, brings a certain level of professionalism about the whole outfit as well, doesn't he? Yeah, do you know, like, Harv's been around such a long time, do you know, uh, he was around whenever, like, Aaron Slight, Edwards were riding the Castrol Honda, which was ran out of life in, like, 2000 or something, so quite a long he's got a lot of experience he's worked with uh, a lot of different riders and, and when you've done that it's uh you realize how to work with each individual and when you've worked with lots of riders I'm, i'd say he can relate you know each rider to another rider but with me he says that uh, i'm quite different to anybody else he's ever worked with but i don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> or a bad thing. yeah i have to ask him to elaborate on that one <laughs> yeah i just uh I'm just Andrew, you know, that's what I say. I'm maybe a little different than some people, but I just work in, in my own way. Greg Haynes here, back in the Eurosport studio. I hope you're enjoying this podcast with Andrew Irwin so far. A special hello now from all of us here at the Eurosport team to Mr. Fish, who regularly tweets us with questions for the podcast and for our broadcasts as well. He and Donna tying the knot this Saturday. So congratulations, and I hope the wedding goes fantastically well to Mr. Fish and Mrs. Fish. Right, back to Andrew Irwin. I was going to say, obviously, yeah, there's four of you, aren't there? You've got Ross, your eldest brother, who I believe has just started racing. You can tell us about that. Glenn's 29. Graham's racing in the BSB paddock as well this year, 27. You're 24, 25 next month. 
are you more like your mum or more like your dad or are you a bit of a combination of both and you know have you spent time equally around all your brothers or were you more around graham who was closest how did it work uh, i'm probably more like my mum because i'm not my dad's quite an outgoing person uh, he's more like glenn do you like uh says what's on his mind a little bit more maybe uh, whereas my mom's more quieter and more in the background, you know, and that's kind of the way that I've kind of made made my career. I think so far is by being in the background, you know, like I think, like I said to you before we went we went on with went on air with this. Uh, it's like whenever you're the youngest boy, you're always the small one. Yeah. So it's, uh, whenever you grow up and say like I'm the same height or whatever. It's hard then to be the big one or to be shoulder to shoulder. You're still the youngest boy, and you kind of keep that uh, flow going. Whereas now that I'm starting to do better in my racing and to do that, I feel more like I'm getting more on par with my brothers. You know, Glenn's obviously been uh, highly successful with Northwest wins, BSB wins, came third in the championship last year. You know, everybody knows. Uh, okay, he's maybe having a difficult season this year, but. I think everybody believes that it won't be long until he's back battling for podiums. Uh, Graham, British motocross champion in 2017. He's at points in Grand Prix motocross. And uh, if anybody watches it, they know how difficult that is. It's crazy. And uh, then Ross, who went to university, had brain, the brains of the family. And uh, he now that he's racing, he actually he's leading the, one of the championships down south, the Mandela Masters Championship, I think it's called. He's leading it, so you know, just his first full year racing, and he's actually really, really good. But he's thirty, so he started quite late. So I don't know if he'll end up in BSB or or what his aspirations are. But I'd say knowing him and uh, having the surname that he has, it won't be long before before he's on a race that Eurosport's covering. Well, yeah, I was going to say one of the support races on the Eurosport player that I'll be commentating on probably. But I mean, you know, to be honest, then for you, Andrew, being born into that with your dad Alan having raced as well you were never really not going to be involved in motorcycle racing in some way, were you? Yeah, exactly. You know, like that's what I always said, you know, whenever I left school at 16 and uh, to be honest at that time, I wasn't going to have a career in motorbikes in, in racing, professional racing. I was riding at home and uh, what did you want to do then when you left school at 16? Whenever I actually wanted to be a motorbike mechanic because I always said you know, if I couldn't, like my, my dream is to become a world champion. It'll never it'll never leave. And I think you know there's no reason why in the future that we can't get the world superbikes. Hopefully someday. Do, but I'm not getting carried away. I know how much of a hard road it would be to get there. But uh, I said the next best thing would be to work in like a world motocross team and uh, hopefully win a championship with a rider as a mechanic. And that's what I wanted to do. But uh, in Northern Ireland, it's quite hard to get into that into that to get to university and obviously being based over here it's hard to get into a team and say in the uk even though they're like british motocross or whatever and quite hard to make a living so uh glenn had went to one of the colleges over here and they did refrigeration and air conditioning and he didn't complete it he he i think he got two years in and left whereas for me uh, i went and completed the course so i'm actually an air conditioning engineer by trade but never asked me to fix your aircon unit you know, because i don't have a bloody clue what i'm doing but uh, so you are a very cool character you could say yeah well, i was a cucumber <laughs> <laughs> but uh no that's so that's what i did when i left school and then uh, i ended up working it's time time for ra whenever i was taking quite a lot of time off for racing because being over here we have to leave on a thursday and thursday fridays off it's hard to to get the time and uh, I ended up working for uh, MET Healthcare who is a, a massive sponsor of mine and Glenn and uh, now Graham's so uh, I was with them until uh, January of this year and then uh, I went full time. All right well you just mentioned World Superbikes there which leads us on nicely actually to another question we've had Andrew on Facebook from Ray McMahon he says, any thoughts on moving back into World Supersport or even World Superbike and just to add to that when you moved before to BSB, of course, your boss at the time in World Super Sport was Simon Buckmaster, who's a classic character, isn't he? He's, he's a funny guy. He doesn't suffer fools gladly, and he speaks his mind. And he reckoned at the time that was the wrong thing to do. I remember he said it publicly. He thought, I think Andrew's making a mistake. You know, he's, on, he's in World Super Sport. He's going back into a national championship. He could be swallowed up and forgotten there. 
I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but that's what he said. What are your feelings now on, first of all, that move back from World Supersport when you were with PTR? What was the thinking at the time and what's the thinking looking forward? Yeah, uh, at the time, uh, I was in World Supersport. I had, say, the dream. I had a a pretty solid year in 2017. Nearly won the British Supersport Championship, came up short, came second. And uh, I had a good year that year and uh, then I went to World Supersport which is uh, sounded like the dream but I was doing it on a shoestring budget you know uh, I was driving a motorhome around on my own from uh, like going from Bruno to Emily to you know, driving thousands of miles and uh, what I did was I went in the motorhome and then straight after the race I drove to the next track or the airport closest to the next track left the motorhome there, flew home and then did that for each round. You know, on the Sunday night, I then drove through the night. To, or Sometimes I wasn't home the Tuesday because it was like a two-day drive. And to be honest, uh, it started off quite good. I was quite fast in testing in Portimao. And then uh, I went to Australia and I broke my hand maybe after 12 laps at Phillip Island. And uh, mm, I remember, that was like yeah. a proper knock in the teeth. I was like, whoa, this is, you know, what have I done? And, so I didn't ride in Australia. I went to Thailand, uh, still with the broken hand that actually hadn't healed. I thought, oh, it'll be okay. And I went and I was one place from last. It was a disaster. And then we went to Aragon and we started to move up the ladder. And uh, I think it was Aston. I got some points. Then we went to Donington. I was in the top 10. Imola, I was in the points. And uh, then the offer came for to go to PBM to replace Shaky at the time because he was injured. And uh, whenever you get offered uh, a ride with uh, one of the best teams in BSB, and also uh, I was offered some money to go to do it. And like, whenever at the time, World Super Sport was costing me money. You know, I wasn't making any money from it. You know, all the money I had from my sponsors was paying for the ride. And the money that I, I made some money in 2017 in prize money and bonuses, whatever, in Super Sport in BSB. And, uh, your money's going down, down, down. And I wasn't mass. I'm not going to deny, I wasn't massively enjoying the World Super Sport experience because I found it so lonely the way I was doing it because I didn't, I didn't have a lot of money. I couldn't like afford to say, bring a friend with me or whatever. And uh, then I got the offer with PBM. I spoke to Simon about it. And uh, originally it was to do the test and then maybe think of doing Snedderton. And uh, he said no. <laughs> and then uh, I was at Bruno and uh, on the Sunday, straight after the race, I had to go pretty much straight to Bruno Airport to fly to Stansted, I think it was, and then Stansted straight to Edinburgh. So I'd booked these flights. And uh, after the race, I spoke to Simon. I said, Simon, I want permission to go to do it. And uh, he says, oh, you'll not be able to get there by tomorrow. And uh, I says, well, I, I know how I'm getting there. And he goes, Simon, things you've made up your mind. And you know, credit to Simon. Uh, I really respect him. I have a lot of time for him. And uh, he runs a tight ship as well. But uh, he, he let me go and, and do it. He said I could do it and uh, do, do the snare and round that didn't clash. And then I could make my mind up if I wanted to to continue in BS or continue in World Super Sport or go to BSB. And you know, the, to be honest, I don't regret doing what I did whatsoever. Uh, it's never nice leaving a team. And, you know, Simon texts me after the weekend. Uh, you know, I see him as a friend, as, uh, as somebody that I have a lot of time and respect for. He does a good job with uh, the budget that they have in World Super Sport. And, uh, yeah, going to BSB was, uh, I think, a step in the right direction. Uh, maybe some might say a sideward step. I see it as a step, step up. And, yeah. Uh, it's a stepping stone, hopefully, to go to World Superbikes eventually, the same way that World Supersport would have been uh, a stepping stone to hopefully go to World Superbike. Uh, I look at it the same way. Let's just quickly rewind to Snetterton last year and just talk about what did happen there. For anyone who didn't see, you made a good start, didn't you? But you braked very, very, very late into the uh, Wilson hairpin and I think you took another three guys down. Michael Laverty was certainly one of them. I remember doing a podcast with Michael on the Sunday night at Snetterton last year. And by then he was all right. He was kind of laughing about it. But at the time, quite unlike Michael, he was pretty annoyed, wasn't he? Because he said, oh, you know, he's young, he's inexperienced, he's wrecked our weekend, which I suppose is sort of true. You did wreck his weekend a bit with that. But how did you feel at the time? Because you came in, you'd caused all this carnage and there was all these people annoyed with you. 
that must be quite that must be very difficult actually at the time how do you get out of a situation like that yeah because i actually wiped out both hondas <laughs> and then no I, you I, did of course you did that's a bit that's a bit of an irony isn't it to be honest it's a it's a really hard thing to Obviously, everyone's hating on you, but you're hating on yourself because you realise how big of a mess mm. you've done. So, uh, did you know it had gone wrong already when you're on the brakes? Yeah. Like, oh no! Oh no! I'm in trouble. I was like, oh, "No, no, Andrew, what have you done?" And, and there's nowhere to go, is there? At that point? No, exactly. Like it's it's difficult. So I ended up. Uh, so I went into the corner too hard, full tank of fuel. Do you, do you how I would des- describe doing it was like say. I start. I think I started the race twelfth or something, and uh, whenever you're in like British Supersport, and I had to start twelfth, the caliber of riders, no disrespect, but they weren't all at a really top level. So then, when you go to superbikes, hmm. you kind of sometimes you forget how good the caliber of the riders are that are around you, and you break thinking, oh, that's an eleventh place rider, I can break later. And I did something like that but everybody breaks late and I thought oh I can break later which you can't do full tank of fuel completely got caught out and uh, Jason O'Halloran just came back from being injured at Imola with quite a bad leg injury so he was lying there and I was like oh I'm just like yeah. it's, you don't know what to say what to do so you know I, I apologise to, to Dan to Michael and to Jason I got on the back of the recovery bike and as soon as I got back to the garage I, I said I have to go to apologize to the guys in Honda and then also to, to Michael's team as well and you know, you're walking down there you feel like an idiot you feel like everybody's looking at you and they're looking at you in, in a bad way and Joe you know, your Twitter's going everything's negative and it's really it's hard to like just switch off from that and think Joe I have to be the bigger person and I went and said sorry to both sides of the, the garage and Honda and then uh, to to the guys in Taiko as well. So it uh, it definitely was the if you can imagine the worst possible start to your new job. I had it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like going going into a new championship and everyone hitting on you. And uh, yeah, it took it took a little while for me to kind of forget about it, and uh, it maybe held me back for a few rounds. I would say, but uh, I don't think uh, in the long run it hasn't done me any harm. Don't get me wrong, I would never recommend anybody doing what I did and uh, Joe everyone makes mistakes in their racing career and uh, I think I don't think there's anyone out there that's racing in, in BSB that can say oh they haven't hit another rider or there hasn't been a little bit of controversy because of it and like any championship really and uh, yeah it uh, it didn't go to plan that day for sure you were like a bowling ball weren't you straight into the all the skittles down there like uh, my Saris wrecking ball song. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine, though, you learn, like you just said, you probably learned a hell of a lot more from that than you've done from a lot of successes you've had in your career. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you generally learn from your mistakes, not you do. Yeah. good days. You know, it's the, the bad days make the good days even better is probably the, the easier way of putting it. And the, one that uh, I definitely, definitely learned from. Here's a couple of other questions. One from Tim Harvey here. Now, this is not Tim Harvey, the British touring car champion and now TV commentator, but another Tim Harvey. Um, maybe a bit of a contentious question here, Andrew, but it's an interesting one. Were you concerned with the woes that Guy Martin and John McGuinness had been having when you signed for Honda? Now, of course, at the time, there was a lot of high-profile incidents going on, weren't there, on the roads with Guy Martin and John McGuinness both being you know, massive stars, both being hurt with bike problems was that something on your mind obviously it's a different spec bike anyway isn't it in bsb but of course they were on honda so was that anything in your mind at the time to be honest it wasn't on my mind whatsoever you know uh, i'd seen how successful the previous riders at honda had been in the in the super bikes and uh, i also knew that it was a different team to the team that i ride for yeah. you know, okay both ran by honda but uh the road racing effort is run by Johnny Twelve Trees, and the the BSB effort is a uh, Javier Biltron. So uh, yeah, I I didn't doubt the bike for a second, and uh, yeah, okay. Sometimes when a new bike comes out, there's a couple of team problems, and uh, for me, you know, it was two years down the line uh, that I was riding the bike, and uh, it's 
you know, I think everybody knows now that the the Fireblade is a really good package, and I don't think there's too many riders wouldn't jump at the opportunity to, to ride one. Well, that brings me on, actually, to... We've got to talk a little bit. I know you, as a rider, can't say much because there's been a lot of talk about a, a new Honda coming into World Superbikes next year and perhaps through to BSB as well. Let's just say, if a new bike came, it would be exciting, wouldn't it? But what can we actually say at the moment? Yeah, you know, I, I read the same things online that uh, everybody else reads. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like everybody, everybody would love to see something new come. But uh, I think we've proved that the bike that we have now is still competitive and we don't need uh, anything drastically new at the minute. Uh, don't get me wrong, every rider wants to have developments and everything to keep continuing. But uh, for now, I'm happy with the bike that we have. And Joe Honda have done a great job with the SP bike that they brought out. I think last year was when they brought out an, an extra little development to it. And uh, yeah, you know, we don't lack speed. We don't lack much. And uh our package is every bit as good as anybody else's. Yeah, I bet Harv and also some of the HRC people in World Superbikes are getting a bit sick about being asked that, aren't they? So we'll move on. Um, last question in here from uh, Facebook. This is from Sam Middlemass, who's obviously a name you'll know. He's racing for the Salas BPS racing team, teammates with Josh Wainwright in the Ducati Tri-Options Cup, actually, in BSB at the moment. Yeah. And Sam's saying, question for Andrew Irwin for the podcast, obviously saw this on Twitter and Facebook, uh, and he said, can you ask Andrew how he's made such steps in his career since going to Superbike? Do you feel now you're more suited to a 1,000 than a 600? Because he said, with respect, and I know you'd agree, you were usually a top three guy in Supersport, but not a winner as such. You were certainly up there, but not always winning consistently. Um, and he said, often people go to Superbike and it's a big step up and sometimes it can be a struggle. But you've gone the other way. You've actually looked even more comfortable on a Superbike. So... Yeah, how have you made such huge steps, is Sam's question. Yeah, uh, it's quite a good question, actually. Uh, I would say that because of the way I've done my career is different. You know, like, I don't mean it shaky or rude, but I don't come from a wealthy family. You know, my, my dad's a lorry driver. My mum's a, rent, a car rental company. So, like, it's not as if, you know, they have a million pound in the bank. And uh, so it didn't mean that they were able to, like, bankroll me for racing. You know, I didn't have, like... A, really rich parents to just say oh and we just far away far away you know when i mean i worked i worked and i put every penny i had into racing motorbikes and the uh the that taught me i think the hard way you know like how much it's cost me to do it you know how much you have to sacrifice to do it and then uh, whenever i was riding super sport i was working on a thursday flying out on a thursday night do things like that it's it's not the right way to be doing racing, but it can sometimes be the only way of doing racing. And uh, I did that. And then whenever I came to Superbikes, now that I'm doing it right, I've been able to take that next step because I've now put all my effort into motorbikes. It's not as if oh, I have to wake up on Monday morning, go to work, then go to the gym, do that, go cycling, whatever. Whereas now I can do it. So I don't have to think about work. Work is my, is my career. And, uh, I think just putting all the pieces of the jigsaw together to do that, you know, if you're like 16, 17, you don't, you, you, you never work a normal job. You don't appreciate how good being a motorbike racer is. Don't get me wrong. It's also really difficult. It's high pressured. It's whatever. But whenever you work uh, nine to five and then you change, you make that progress to being a motorbike racer. It's a, a really nice feeling. And, it's a feeling that you don't want to go away. You know, I don't want to lose a job. You know, I always want to have a job and uh, I want to make sure that I work my socks off to, to make sure that I've always got a ride and that I'm always competitive. And, yeah. Do you know, I'd say, I say this and it sounds weird, but I'm quite a late mature, if you know what I mean. Like whenever I was like maybe 17, 18, I was like a young 18, you know, and then now that I feel like I've matured, it's took a big step in my career and it's changed a lot. But yeah, uh, like in Supersport 2017, uh, I think I had 12 second places. I probably was leading on the last lap and uh, probably seven or eight of them and Keith Former passed me. But yeah, when I went to Superbike, uh, the bigger bike has just suited me and it's just helped. Uh, Having a good team around you helps massively as well. Don't get me wrong. Whenever I read for Gearlink in 2017, Mike and Norma Dibodaf, they were awesome. And uh, John, Mike, the way he teaches you, the way that he works, it, uh, it reminds me quite a lot of Harv. And uh, 
you know, then when I went to PBM, you know, I had really experienced people around me then and the, that helped me fast track to, to ride the superbike whenever you've got a shaky burns to edit or like how he did it. So having that also made it a lot easier. And uh, then with Honda, we've uh, been able to take it to that next level. You just mentioned Norma David after. I'm quite sad anyway, because I never got to meet Norma. But from seeing her on the TV, to me, she just seemed like such a warm character, such a caring person. I'm sure you know that a lot better than I do. But do you ever think of Norma now she's no longer with us? And, you know, she'll be smiling down on you, I'm sure, won't she, if she saw what happened at Thruxton on Sunday? Yeah, do you know... Uh... I actually, whenever I went into Port Ferme on Sunday, uh, the Gearling team was there clapping me, and I actually really appreciate it. You know, Mike was stood there, and uh, between race one and race two, I actually saw him in the paddock, and uh, I was talking to him, and I said, you know, thank you so much for the opportunities that he gave me, because you know, it's easy to forget all of the people that gave you the chances, and yeah, yeah, to him and, and to Norma for giving me that, and uh, he said, oh. Norma would have been bouncing up and down when she watched that race because it was so entertaining. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I, I never forget where I came from or where I come from. And it's the, the hard roads make you stronger. And uh, I think if you you have the tough times in racing, it'll make you even stronger. You know, and it uh, it helps you make it helps to make you a more complete rider. Is uh, is my way of looking at it anyway. And you know, there's no perfect way of being a motorbike racer. There's no perfect path. But uh, I think if you work hard and you commit to it, uh, anything is possible. Yeah, you're so right, I think, for what it's worth. Because I used to work in a shop, for example, when I was earning five euros an hour. (laughs) And, you know, I'll often be buying stuff now for where I live or whatever. And I'll always think, I'll equate things to how many hours of work it would have been for five euros an hour. And I don't know, I just think it puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Because... We've all got friends who are good friends, but maybe let's say, you know, spoiled friends, let's be honest. And they don't quite see things in the same way, do they, as to when you've gone out and had to work really hard and then continue working hard to get what you want. Yeah. Do you know, like, I think everyone had, has had the friend in the past that when you're growing up, they're like, oh, they have the nice, like, say, designer code or whatever. At the yeah, yeah. Scene where, whereas with me, you know, I probably had Glenn or Graham's hand-me-downs, <laughs> do you know, like... Uh, it's stuff like that and then you know with racing you can make everybody knows you can make a decent living if you work hard but yeah, uh, yeah. You know, i haven't got to, to that stage yet but the uh for me you know it was just always working hard work hard work hard and uh get to get, like don't get me wrong my fear firmly planned that i have one good weekend in racing and uh i know that i still want to continue to be inside the top six but and I'm not getting carried away whatsoever, but you have to keep working hard to to get to where you want to be, and uh, that's what I'm prepared to do to to keep making those sacrifices to to get there. So, what does Andrew Irwin do in his spare time then? Because you've mentioned you're in your own place now, which is must be well. I know it's very rewarding, isn't it? And you're living with your girlfriend, you've got your own space. But what do you do? I mean, do you follow the news? Do you put Sky News on when you're at home? Do you follow Brexit? What sort of life does a BSB winner who's 24 years old still lead when you're not at the track? <laughs> so generally I come home on a Sunday night uh, and I try not to eat in the airport because I can normally get something more greasier when I land in Belfast on a, on a Sunday night. So <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend will come home. She come, Shan comes to all of the races with me. So we fly home together and then generally it's pizza, Chinese or Indian and uh, we'll have have some ice cream in the freezer so uh that's month that's monday then pretty much rid off because it's like having a hangover and a, a food hangover yeah it's- but there's so- nothing better than that at the end of a hard <laughs> race weekend is there? so uh that's generally monday is just a chill day go see my mom because she doesn't come to to all the races and uh then tuesday i go out on my bicycle in the morning generally and then uh, i have the personal trainer on tuesday night yeah, so that's generally the start of it. And then Wednesday, I Thursday, Friday, I'm back into the flow of training. And I do a little bit of hot yoga. And me and Glenn do quite a lot of training. Generally, with the trainer, it's together. Uh, we maybe don't do just as much as what we used to in the past. Uh, we live about 30 minutes away from each other. And uh, sometimes uh, when you train together all the time and you race bikes together all the time, it gets really, really competitive. And you nearly overtrain because of it and the next day you can't do what you plan to do just as well but uh other than training uh, i i love motocross uh, i'm not very good at it but i love doing it it's uh, what i started doing whenever i was a kid and how i got into bikes 
all of us raced motocross. You know, my eldest brother also raced that at the time, and that was what I dreamed of being whenever I was younger was to be a world motocross rider. I never really thought of being a a short circuit rider, I suppose. But uh, then Glenn went into the short circuit path, and then that's how I got there. But other than that, uh, during the day, go for coffee, uh, just go see sponsors. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to say what I do during the day. It sounds as if I do nothing, but like the likes of today, uh, I came home this morning, uh, which was Wednesday morning, when saw my mom, saw a sponsor. Now I'm doing this. You always have something to be doing. You know, tonight I have a chat show at the Ulster Grand Prix. I always have something to be doing. There's something to keep me busy. And uh, I always make sure that my mind's busy. Do you know, like, I hate that feeling of sitting down and thinking, what am I going to do? I, I always have something to be doing. You know, like, since I moved into our house uh, about four months ago, and uh, uh, yeah, we've been doing yeah. up the garden, so I've been doing a bit of painting, fixing the fence, a bit of decking. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I like to try to do things on my own. I actually paid somebody to do a bit of fencing, and then I got them to do the fence one foot too short. Well, my girlfriend thought it was one foot too short, so then I had to knock down the fence, restart to make it one foot higher. You know? <laughs> Even more complicated than just doing it from nothing. I bet that drove you mad, didn't it? Because yeah, I hate wasting money. I'm quite tight. So uh, I'm not into wasting money, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, me too. There's always something to be doing, or on the phone to Glenn talking rubbish, or uh, yeah, doing a bit of homework before races. There's uh, I keep myself busy and keep myself occupied. Now I've got to ask because obviously we're going to have a wide range of people listening to the podcast, and this is going to sound very news of the world and very tabloidy. But what's it like? You're 24 years old. You've won a BSB race. You're well known slash famous. You're on the TV. Do you not get a lot of attention online from, from from girls and, you know, if there's a party going on in the paddock, how do you separate that? And, you know, how does your girlfriend trust you? Because I guess depending on the kind of character people are, that must be an element of racing that you need. There must be an element of trust there, I suppose. Yeah. You know, I must say that, you know, like with Shan, she's awesome. Uh, she she understands racing in a, in a really good way. Do you know, like there's no... You know, some girls would maybe be like, oh, you can't go training. I'm home from work. She works during the day and then she'll come home from work and sometimes I'm going to the gym. So we don't see each other maybe a lot during the week. But uh, yeah. I think it works for us. And uh, Joe, yes, with racing, you get maybe a little bit of attention or whatever. But uh, yeah, for me, I just, my focus is on bikes and I try to not get too distracted. And uh yeah, she keeps an eye on my Instagram to make sure I'm not liking any other girls' pictures. Like any, they're, they're all mental, aren't they? Really, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good. It works. The I, I always think if you're happy at home and uh, you're happy with life away from racing, it, it helps to make you uh, a more complete rider. And that's that's why I have now. You know, I have a happy life away from racing and I have a happy life at racing. So I have the best of both worlds and. So like we'll go. Uh, we have a concert to go to in Dublin for Post Malone, I think in August sometime. So we'll go to that together and uh, maybe make a little little trip away because it's in Dublin. I, I live about two hours from there. So you know things like that just to chill out a bit as well. So yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because you see all these documentaries about people like Barry Sheen and James Hunt, and you hear of the swinging sixties and the seventies. And believe me, though, some of that still very much goes on. I'm sure you've heard stories as well. But uh, yeah, it's interesting how you get different characters, and it is interesting that you get people who I think are in quite a bubble and they live for the paddock. Where re- whereas really, it's a world. The world you see on the TV doesn't really exist does it it's a bit like a film playing out in real time it's not really a world that exists because at the end of the weekend everyone goes home everything's taken down uh, and some people i think get a bit carried away with that do you think yeah it's like uh, you know people probably think oh say on friday my session ends at around 4 p.m and uh, that's it you're done for the day but it's not you know like you don't leave the garage maybe until half four you go back get showered and then you're back in the garage, you're working to improve on, on Saturday. And it's the same thing on Saturday. You know, we, we normally have a debrief around dinners at six o'clock in, in hospitality. And then I think it's about quarter to seven. We have a debrief in the in the team truck with me, 
the team manager, which is Harv, the assistant team manager, Paul Williamson, our two crew chiefs, me and Xavi, and then Tom Neve, who's uh, crew chief's also Paul. So then that takes you to, say, near 8 o'clock. And then you know, by that time, after riding the bike all day, you just want to go back to the camper and chill out. And you know, that's it's about finding the the right way of doing it as well. Do you know, if you're if you're out, talk, I, I'm not, I would, I'm, I'm a sociable person. I'm a quiet person. But on race weekends, I don't say go around to see a lot of people. You know, I have a few friends in the paddock or teams that I get on with, and I'll maybe like call in with them once over the weekend. But I wouldn't be around, you know, every night or anything like that. I just keep myself to myself and uh, try not to to get in with the wrong people. Is maybe the, the easiest way, and uh, yeah. let myself get distracted. And you can see how it could be easy to get sucked into little gatherings that form in the paddock. And But, you know, yeah, we all have a professional relationship with one another, don't we? It's not like all the riders are going on holiday between every race weekend. It's really not exactly. like that. Exactly. You know, we all we all work hard. You know, I think uh, every rider that's in that paddock, be it in BSB, Junior Supersport, Joe, we're, we're all chasing the, chasing the same dream. And uh, Joe, we're maybe at different stages of our careers, but we all want to, to get to the very top. And I think we're all prepared to, to make the sacrifices. And the, the ones that aren't prepared uh, are maybe the ones that don't get to get to get the BSB, you know, mm. that way. But then the ones that are in BSB, then obviously we all want to progress to towards Superbikes. We all have ambitions. And, Joe, that's a, that's a good thing about being in that championship. Yeah, let's quickly talk about that then before we sign off. By the way, I hope everyone at home is enjoying the chat as much as I am. It's great to chat with you, Andrew. Um, World Superbikes then, you've mentioned it a couple of times in the chat already. Is that where you see yourself then? When you're growing up, do you think, I want to be a BSB champion or are you thinking of World Superbikes? Are you thinking of MotoGP? You know, it's a bit like a classic interview question. Where do you see yourself in five or 10 years time? But where do you see yourself? Yeah, do you know, like, I'm 24, I'm realistic. Uh, for me to get to MotoGP is very difficult because of the, Joe say, I'm not ready to go to World Superbikes next year. I need, you know, I feel like I need maybe at least one more year in BSB maybe two, to, to try to do a really good job to, to be able to fight for a championship. Hopefully someday, you know, I don't think this year we're in that position to fight for the championship. Uh, I'm being 100% realistic and 100% honest. And it's not that I'm being negative. I look at everything in a realistic way. I don't look at it and I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do it. I've won one BSB race. And uh, before that, I hadn't even had a podium. You know, like I have to, I have to be sensible, but... You know, in the future, I hope to be able to fight for a British Superbike Championship, but I don't think there's any point going towards Superbike until you've done a really dominant, I don't think, you, yeah, dominant stage in the, in BSB, you know, where you're winning week in, week out. And, uh, yeah, the dream for me is definitely good to go and uh, get towards Superbike in, uh, in a factory team. You know, I'd love to continue, like, the Honda dream and to go progress from BSB towards Superbike with them. But, you know, you never know what's going to come. You never know if uh, they're going to give me a job for next year, never mind uh, in a few years down the line. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, the dreams to get towards Superbikes and uh, we'll not get carried away. We'll just keep working with where we are and uh, see what happens. Yeah, and of course, by the time we get to 2020, which is next season, it will have already been 13 years for Honda since they last won a rider's title in the World Championship with James Toesland in 2007. So that would be a nice thing to aim for, I guess, in the next few years. BSB then for now, obviously, you're into the showdown six now, that critical showdown top six. I suppose the irony is you've moved it, you've bumped your teammate, Xavi Forres, out who's helped you so much and you've helped him, but that's just the way it goes. There's still five races to go though. So I guess the plan now for all of you guys is to get both Hondas into the top six. It's never going to be easy though, is it for everyone? But how do you see things panning out now? We've got Cadwell this weekend. Then we've got Alton Park with three races. It's going to be close, isn't it? Because we've got people like Peter Hickman, Christian Iden, Danny Buchan's obviously in there. Taz McKenzie's been hurt. How fit is he going to be? There's going to be a lot more surprises, I think. Yeah, do you know, uh, when you look at it, uh, I think now I'm just 11 points behind Danny, uh, which is pretty good, I think. Uh, Joe, with where we are, it sets us up good that we can continue to fight. I think uh, Cadwell should suit the likes of Danny with his being taller, Hickey being taller. To you, know, everybody knows how physical Cadwell is with the. You know, if you're a big, tall lad and strong, it's uh, it's easier to turn the bike. You know, through the likes of Hall Benz, things like that. But 
Joe, our bike's good there. Uh, I'm sure on Thursday we should hopefully find somewhere uh, with a base end to go from and the bike's generally not too far away. Uh, we should be able to to hopefully fight inside the top six. And yeah, uh, being 11 points away, Taz is injured as well, uh, which, you know, you don't want to make the showdown because of an injured rider. And, uh, you know, I hope Taz is hopefully going to be fit for Cadwell because he's a rider that I have a massive respect for because he's small. He's uh, probably one of the hardest riders you'll ride against. And, uh, He's also a, a, lo- a lovely person as well. You know, he's one of the riders that always says hello to you in the paddock. Yeah. It's the, the aim for sure is to have both Hondas in the showdown. And uh, it would be a credit to, to Chavi for all of his hard work if we both get into it. But uh, for sure, I definitely want to want to be one of the Hondas that, that gets in. But, you know, there's five races. Anything can happen. And Joe Hickman's far from out of it. Uh, you know, he's right there. Christian Eden's not out of it. It's going to be... Uh, going to be a, a hard tough fought last five races i think have you found a new confidence by the way because when we were watching race two when it finally got underway properly for the third time of asking on sunday and i think even before the red flag actually there was some real hard racing going on wasn't there? you were making contact with scott redding and peter hickman and people were waving hands at each other and obviously you'd already had that little incident shall we say with scott back at silverstone earlier this year but it was hard fighting out there wasn't it literally banging bars and what's that like yeah do you know when you're fighting for the showdown uh, every point counts do you know we're not in the position say like uh, scott tommy josh are in they're sort of the only three re- nobody's mathematically confirmed are they but they're the three ducati riders you'd be surprised if they didn't get through but everyone else is a question mark still yeah exactly during them three are the ones that are pretty concrete so they're going for a uh, podium credits whereas with us it's a it's like a free-for-all we're going for every point there is and Joe that's you have to make the most out of each weekend and especially whenever with us we had good pace at Thruxton and you have to I, I've said it all along there's going to be a weekend that suits us and we have to make the most out of that and yeah we maybe came up five points short of it but it was a bloody good weekend compared to to the ref. Generally, if we got 24, 25 points in a weekend, like we did at Snetterton, that was a really good weekend. And Joe, uh, before Thruxton, Taz was 50 points ahead of me. He got injured and it's down to five points. Joe, it, it can change so, so fast. And we know Hickey's good at Cadwell. Uh, we know Danny's good there. Uh there's no reason why I can't be good there. And then we go to Olton where the Honda did struggle a little bit, or I struggled anyway, uh, before. But I think that we've improved the bike since then and we should uh, should be much more competitive. But also, you know, we're we're getting towards the end of August, September. You don't know with the UK weather what it's going to be like and it'll always throw a spanner in the works come showdown time too. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Anything in particular then you want to sort out on the bike now for the 15th of August? There is that test we talked about at Cadwell. That's going to be nice, isn't it, to get some nice running there before free practice starts on Friday. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be nice because we actually have some stuff to try, some uh, some further developments with the, with the fire blade. So we have a, a new fork kind of set and fork slash thing to try and... Uh, Hopefully with that, we find uh, another bit. Because on the on the flowing tracks like Thruxton, we are competitive. Uh, the likes of the tighter, twistier ones, we need to find something more You know, with the undulation changes. So uh, hopefully with the, the change to the fork, we'll have found uh, another little something. But I think uh, we'll not be too, uh, too far away. And uh, hopefully by the time qualifying comes on Saturday afternoon, we'll be... Uh, in a position to make Q3 and then that'll set us up well for some of these races. Well, Andrew, thanks very much. That uh, church outside my window is about to chime for six o'clock here, so you'll probably hear that in the background. But just some of the stats, you BSB winner number 52, uh, six different winners already this year, Josh Elliott, Tara McKenzie, Josh Brooks, Scott Redding, Danny Buchan and you. And you're the fifth new winner. Josh Brooks, the only one of those guys who hadn't, uh, who sorry, who had won a race before. So we're just one away now from a record in the modern era of six new winners in one season. But maybe the favourite one for you is that Glenn won his first race in his 39th race at Silverstone in 2017. You win in 34th, so you've done it five races earlier than Glenn. So that I think sweet. that shows who, the, who is the fastest urban. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm laughing now because before we went on air, 
you mentioned when I said that that he got his podium sooner, and now we're on it. You haven't seen it. Yeah, but but a win is better than a podium. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah, no, it's going to be great, isn't it, to see how it goes. Um, last question, and this really is the last question now as we record this on the seventh of August. What's your plan for this weekend off for the championship before Cadwell Park? Anything interesting to do? Yeah, well, uh, at home, uh, the Ulster Grand Prix started today, Wednesday, and uh, I have a chat show tonight uh, there. And then uh, sort of Jerry Springer sort of thing, or you no? Know, it's it's local road race, and I'm happy to support it. And uh, I'll go watch it on Saturday. Go watch the likes of Peter Hickman, Dean Harrison, Michael Dunlop, uh, all of those guys, Connor Commons, Lee Johnson, all all, all those crazy riders that uh, that, that have uh, something that I don't have uh, to be able to ride that close to to the trees and and all of that. So no, I look forward to going and watching that, hanging out from a hedge and. Uh, spectating and having a chilled out Saturday. It doesn't sound like you're going to be doing an Ulster TT or an Isle of Man TT anytime soon then. Uh, no, it's uh, you know, never say never, but uh, at this point of my career, uh, I don't think uh, I'm ready for it just yet. Uh, maybe in the future, who knows? Being from Northern Ireland, it's, uh, it's probably something nice to have in your CV, the likes of a Northwest win, and uh, not many people can say they've won the one Super White Northwest, so... I don't know, maybe someday, but uh, I don't think about it too much. Well, Andrew, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure, a real genuine pleasure to chat. We've had a good laugh and best of luck. You are now a BSB winner. Let's see if there's any more new winners coming this year, but best of luck with the test and with Cadwell Park. And of course, we'll see you on Eurosport this weekend. Thank you very much and thanks for having me. Thanks, Andrew. Well, for my money, that was actually one of our nicest podcast interviews so far this season. Don't know what your thoughts are, but let us know through my Facebook page, Gregory Haynes, and also through my Twitter page, Greg Haynes TV, and of course with the hashtag Full Throttle. And you can send questions in as well to the Eurosport Twitter handle, Eurosport underscore UK. Thanks very much again to Andrew Irwin. Congratulations to Andrew, the Irwin family and the whole Honda racing team. Their first victory for nearly two years and Andrew's first in BSB full stop. But of course, it doesn't mean it's going to be his last. I'm sure there's more coming and probably more coming before the end of this season as well. Cadwell Park then coming up this weekend. All of the live action. Matt Roberts and the team will be on site in Lincolnshire on Eurosport 2. And all of the support races are live across the weekend. Some of them in the main show, some of them coming up in BSB Extra next week. But every single race live in its entirety on the Eurosport player. Check that out. Now, we've got a short break coming up in the podcast because we'll have a two-week break with no superbike racing soon on Eurosport. However, we do have one coming up next week. The Shaky Show. I'll be sitting down at Cadwell for our digest of the events there in Lincolnshire this weekend. So six-time champion Shaky Byrne will be with us on the latest Shaky Show recorded this Sunday, coming out next Wednesday. That's on the Eurosport website, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts as well. Thanks again to Andrew Irwin. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully you can get to Cadwell, but if not, we'll see you on Eurosport 2 and speak to you on the podcast next Wednesday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.